reading this evening is John 13, verses 12 through 17. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of God. Thanks. I couldn't help but think as we sang, Be Thou My Vision, it's not too often that we're in this sanctuary when the sun is setting. And so we had the beautiful stained glass lighting up here as a reminder that the presence of Christ is indeed with us tonight. I want you to imagine Thursday evening, Jesus is with his disciples. It's a very intimate moment when he's with them. In fact, in the book of John 13, chapters 13 through 17, um, Jesus is essentially uh, training his disciples. It's his last training session with them. And he's training them so that when Jesus leaves them, they will be ready for what is to come. This is the night before he dies. Uh, this is the, the night he's also betrayed, as we began to see in that video. But he's getting ready to do something that is going to be a lofty task, and that's for them to go out into the world. And we're going to find out tonight what they're commanded to do. Now, he explains this in, in a beautiful moment when he washes their dirty feet, which is an interesting turn in the story. What does that mean? Later on in in chapter 13, verse 24, he says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. When I was an English major in college, one of my favorite authors was Flannery O'Connor. She wrote a bunch of short stories. And I remember one story. Someone asked her, what was the meaning of her short story? What What were the symbols? What were the metaphors? They wanted to know what it meant. And she responded, if I could tell you what it means... I wouldn't have had to write the story. I think sometimes a picture that Jesus presents them is even more powerful than the command itself. He's commanding them to serve one another, to wash each other's feet, but then he demonstrates that by washing their feet first. What I want to do tonight is I want to reflect and meditate on this act, the act of washing feet. In particular, this moment in the upper room when Jesus washes his disciples' feet and then tells them to do likewise. What does it all mean? Uh, I have three observations. The first is this. The love that Jesus is calling his followers to is not to gain something, but it is to give away. Washing dirty feet is gross. Um, it's, it's repulsive. It's not something that we want to do. To get on our hands and knees and have your face close to someone's feet is not a pleasant thing. Um, my wife is a saint, and occasionally I will ask her to give me a pedicure. And I kid you not, she will go and she will put on her hazmat suit 
She's got these long rubber gloves that go to her elbows. She's got her N95 mask on. She's got her goggles, right? And then she goes and she, you know, gives me a pedicure. It's wonderful. If that's not a picture of true love, I don't know what is. Um, Washing feet is not pleasant. I know that. I know my own feet. That's not a pleasant thing to do. And yet Jesus gets on his knees in front of his love. The leader of these disciples gets on his hands and knees and washes their feet. That is a beautiful and striking picture. I graduated from Sterling College, and actually on, in front of the main, one of the main buildings there, there is a statue of Jesus washing Peter's feet. It's a beautiful statue. If you're ever in Sterling, Kansas, I encourage you to go check that out. But there are a lot of, I think, principles that we can sort of take from this moment. Uh, one of those, I think, we think about Christian love, what it means when Jesus says we are to go and love one another. I think there are some principles that we can glean from this. Number one, I think Christian love means that you love people and not just people that you're attracted to, right? If we're attracted to someone, we're naturally going to want to show them affection or to love them. Uh, if, I think Jesus is actually calling us to something bigger, Jesus says to love people even if they're not the most attractive, even if that person might not be your friend, we are called to love. Oftentimes, we're attracted to people who are are, uh, maybe successful or have charisma, or maybe there's something that we want in return. So we, by showing them love, are actually trying to get something back for it. Why do we do that? I think all of us are people who have needs. I think we're often um, people who, who crave things and want things. And so by showing people love, we're hoping that there's going to be some sort of return on our investment. Um, C.S. Lewis has this great line in the screw tape letters. He writes this. He says, even in human life, we have seen the passion to dominate, almost to digest one's fellow to make his whole intellectual and emotional life merely an extension of one's own. On earth, this desire is called love. In hell, I feign they may recognize it as hunger. Lewis describes what we may call love as actually a hunger to receive something in return. In other words, to love someone that Jesus calls us to is not just to love someone to get something, but rather to love someone because of who they are in themselves. Instead of treating people like a commodity, uh, as a means to something else, we love them because of who God created them to be. Jesus called us to truly love people, not just to feed a hunger, but rather to sacrifice, to die to ourselves, and to love our neighbor. Real love is not, not how do you meet my needs, but rather how can I meet your needs first? You know, we live in a culture um, that says, I'll be in a relationship with you as long as you meet my needs. In fact, I would say the supreme ethic of our culture is how can I love myself? There's a whole business on self-care now, right? It's a brand. How can I take care of myself first? How can I um, make sure that I'm taken care of? People have jobs, they're devoted self-care experts. And yet Jesus calls us to something different. Not how do I love myself first, but how do I love others? Watching my kids grow up is one of the greatest joys in my life. I I love every moment of being a dad. Um, One of the things I think about is for all the parents in this room who've who've, um, experienced that, their kids growing up, if you want them to grow up to be healthy adults one day, 
it's going to require some sacrifice on your end. For example, as a dad, I get a lot less sleep. I have a lot less free time. I have a lot more attention that I have to give my kids that I used to be able to give myself. Right? There are sacrifices that we make, and even though these tiny little tears destroy our home, and they make a mess, and they put stains on the couch, we do it, and it's so worth it because we love them. We're willing to make those sacrifices because we want them to thrive. True love will put others' needs before their own. Have you ever known someone in your life um, who was maybe frustrating or or irritating, annoying, or just kind of sucked the air out of the room when you're with them? And perhaps there was a moment where this person sent you a, a message wanting to spend some time together. I don't know about you, but there have been times where I've wanted to respond to said person and say, I'm busy, I had come up with some kind of excuse. Um, We have this ongoing joke in our family, whenever we don't want to participate in something, we say we have a dentist appointment. Um, It gets a little suspicious when you have like three dentist appointments in a week, or it's like 7 p.m. on a Sunday. Um, I've been in that position where I've wanted to say, no, I don't have time for this person. I'm too busy. I've got so many things I could rather be doing that's just going to be a waste of my time. But what if, instead of making an excuse, we said yes. We took a morning, went out for breakfast, had a cup of coffee, and we listened. We encouraged this person. We pray for this person. We weep with this person. The people that are the hardest to love in our life, we made space to sacrifice. And when we do that, you may lose a morning. It may take um, giving of yourself. There's a sacrifice, a dying to yourself that happens. But even though there is a death, there is also life that happens. That person who may not experience that love many other places, experience the love of Christ through you. And in that, you experience life because in that moment, you're becoming more like Jesus himself. There are two ways to go. We can say, I am my own, and everything exists to meet my needs, or we could say, my life for yours. The second observation is that Jesus calls us not just giving, okay, not just giving, but also investing. Love is not merely an emotion. It's not just something we feel, but love is an action. It is a verb. It is something that we participate in. Anyone who's been in a loving relationship, you know there are times you sacrifice your needs for the sake of the other person, even when you don't feel like it. That's a part of what it means to be in a loving relationship. If my parents didn't do this, I would be a mess. If they didn't take time to sacrifice, I know that would be a huge problem. But it's not merely fulfilling a duty. I think that there is a deeper and bigger heart issue going on. We're supposed to care about the effects of our service. When Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, he didn't just get on his knees and look at the feet and say, wow, those are dirty feet. He washed them. There was a a, a positive effect on the disciples by having their feet washed. And this, friends, is a symbol for salvation. We see this um, in verse uh, 9, Peter, what is what Peter said? Peter says, I don't want you to wash my feet. Like, that's not right, right? In this moment, Peter is, is like, what, what is going on here? Why are you doing this? And Jesus says, I wash you. If, unless I wash you, you won't have eternal life. Now, in this moment, Jesus 
is not trying to say there's some sort of second baptism through foot washing or that this is efficacious for salvation. That's not, that's not what he's saying here. Rather, Jesus in this moment is giving us a metaphor, a symbol that ultimately he cares about Peter's soul in that moment. He says, I want to wash the dirt off your soul. And that is going to happen soon in the midst of this grand, beautiful narrative. He says, I want you to be joyful and humble and full of joy. He says in Hebrews 12, we read that he endured the shame of the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before you. There's a reason why Jesus is going to die. He wants for his disciples to experience that joy. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53 on the suffering servant says, and he suffered. This, 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 this uh, coming Messiah suffered. He will see the light of life and be satisfied. He is saying in this moment with Peter, he is serving in such a way that he knows he will lose everything, that he will be tortured, he will be on a cross, and that he will be put to death. But he's also saying, I'm excited about what this will do in the end. We love others not merely because we were commanded it, but because the investment far outweighs the reward. There's another C.S. Lewis quote I want to share with you. It's from an essay called The Weight of Glory. And if you haven't read it, it's on, you can Google it. It's free. It's, it's a wonderful, challenging, but beautiful essay. And in this, he writes this. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals who we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Every encounter that we have is a witness to Jesus Christ. Every person we encounter, whether it's at a coffee shop, whether if it's our waitress, whether if it's uh, while we're driving, whether we're on a walk, whoever it is that we come in contact with is a witness to Jesus Christ. As a follower of Jesus, the way in which we carry ourselves with others, we ought to make people feel cherished, to experience what it means to be forgiven, to be loved, to be seen, to be, to be a listener when someone is struggling. We are to carry the marks of Christ in every encounter that we have. Lewis goes on to say, it is in light of these overwhelming possibilities it is with the awe and the circumspection prosper to them, proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. Every conversation, every person that we encounter, Jesus sees that person and loves that person. And the way in which he does that, the primary way in which he shows and demonstrates his love is through his church. It's through you and me as we display this love, as we serve others, even people who are hard to love, people who we may see as an enemy, people who think differently about the world, about our politics, about whatever. Jesus uses you and me to minister to people 
as, a, as his primary way to show them his love. And he does this and shows us how to do this by washing feet. Number three, it is, it is done, this Christian love is not done out of our emptiness, but out of the overflow. I think the reason we struggle to do this is because many of us have trouble getting, giving money away if you cannot eat yourself. In other words, many of us struggle to give because we ourselves are empty inside. It's hard to love people when we are empty. Romans 5, Paul says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. I love that line, poured out on us through the Holy Spirit. My question to you tonight, as you, as you reflect on this, as you meditate on this, where is the state of your heart? Do you sense the unconditional love of God being poured out by the Holy Spirit? Does that bring you joy, or do you find yourself running on empty? I know for, for my own life and walk with Jesus, there have been seasons where I, I understood it, right? I understood the gospel, I, I knew the Bible, I knew the stories, but I had a hard time translating it from my head to my heart. Sometimes I would sing, I would sing worship songs, and I wouldn't feel anything. I wouldn't, I wouldn't experience that, that, that feeling of the Holy Spirit, and that love, flowing into my heart, and I wrestled with that. And maybe that's where you're at right now. The song, um, as, we, as we sing, Be Thou My Vision, I was just reflecting on all the times and moments in my life where God has been faithful to me, even when I have been distant. And for those of you who are here tonight, as we're going through Holy Week, I would ask you, if this is you, if you're wrestling with that, if you don't feel the presence of God and you sense an emptiness, how do, what do we do with that? What do we do in that wrestling? What do we do in that space where we feel like um, we're in a desert? I would encourage you to remember and to wait on the Lord to invite the presence of the Holy Spirit into your life, to, re to uh, renew the joy of your salvation, to trust Jesus even if you don't feel it, and to be honest before God. You know the secret of Jesus washing the feet wasn't just that Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, it's that Jesus is also washing your feet. And that's not, that's not literal, that's, that's metaphorical by saying that Jesus is serving you, ministering to you by humbling himself on a cross for you. When Peter, in that moment, is saying, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? This should be me. I think in that moment, what we're seeing in Peter is a little bit of pride. I think in that moment, Peter is, is wrestling, saying, why is Jesus doing this right now? I should be the one who is serving him. And I think that pride represents all the people who hear the gospel, who see the good news and say, you know what? I, 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 that's not for me. I don't believe that. But the gospel is true. That you are more sinful than you know, but you are more loved than you could ever imagine. What we must do is wait on the Lord, trusting in his love, his unconditional, never-ending love. To illustrate this point, 
I once heard a story of this emperor named Nicholas. Nicholas was, uh, he was a very kind and, and well uh, leading emperor, and he once knew a friend who had a son who needed a job, and so out of compassion, he said, hey, I, I will offer your son a job, that's fine. He, the son had fallen on some hard times, and he says, I'll, I'll put him in this position, and this son began working pretty diligently for the emperor. He lived in the palace, he, he did what he was supposed to do, but over time, he began to develop a gambling problem, and this gambling problem began to get worse. And he began to start racking up debt after debt after debt until it felt like this incredible burden that he couldn't seem to get under. And he would, he would embezzle more money from the palace and he would go out and he would waste it away. Until one day the weight of his debt became so great that he felt like he could no longer live in this world. He could not bring this shame on his family and he was going to end it all. Confronted with the magnitude of his debt, He took a revolver, went to his room. He wrote down all of the debts that he had, everything that he owed, every dollar that he embezzled. And he wrote on a piece of paper, a great debt, who can pay? He began to drink to give him the courage to pull the trigger. But after a while, he passed out from drinking too much and the next morning, there was a surprise inspection, and sure enough, the Emperor Nicholas showed up to the, to the young man's room, went inside, and he saw the scene. He saw uh, this, the young man passed out on the floor. He saw the revolver. He saw the alcohol. He saw the list of all the debts, and he realized what the young man had done. And he saw that line, a great debt who can pay. The Emperor Nicholas wrote one word, underneath that question, and he left. The next few hours go by, and the young man finally wakes up from his his drunkenness, and he remembers, he's a little disoriented, but he then remembers where he is. He sees the room, he sees the revolver, he's like, oh, I remember what I was supposed to do, and then he notices on the desk there was the note with one word on it, and that word was Nicholas. And next to that was a small sack of gold coins containing the exact amount of his debt. The young man's debt was paid and he left a free man with a new lease on life. Friends, tomorrow we're gonna be here again for Good Friday where we talk about this great debt that was paid. It is only because of the fact that this debt was paid that we can call Friday good. And so I encourage you to return as we spend some time there. But tonight, I want to encourage you that no matter how big, and it takes us to really understand, to get it from our head to our heart, just how big the debt is, to also understand just how big the incredible, unconditional love of God is for you. And when we get that, when we truly, when that sinks in and it sinks deep, it is then that we are free to love people the way Christ has called us to love people. Even if that person you love does not love you back. Even if that person that you love doesn't doesn't respond in the way you want to respond. Even if you forgive someone who doesn't deserve forgiveness and doesn't show any sense of remorse, 
This is Christian love, loving knowing that it may not be returned. Maundy Thursday is called Maundy. It's, it's derived from the Latin term command. And it is the command to go and love others as I have loved you. Tomorrow is Good Friday. There's the awkward Saturday in between. And then there's Sunday, which is a great day, but I won't spoil that yet. There were three things that happened uh, that, that Thursday night, three main things. We have the washing of the feet. There's the betrayal that happens at the end. But in between then was the moment uh, when Jesus established the ceremony known as the Eucharist. And tonight, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And as we do, be reminded of the command that God has given us to love one another as I loved you. Let's pray. Father, teach us how to love. You've shown us in this act of humbling yourself and washing the disciples' feet. Will you show us ways in our life where we can love others with that same love? Would you put people in our life that are divine appointments where you've led us to show them your love and we can share the good news of the gospel with them? We would see hearts and lives transformed that you would bring renewal in the city and renewal among our people. Lord, teach us to be people who are like your son, Jesus. It's for your beautiful name. Amen.